Amen, amen. It's good to see you. Welcome on this Wednesday night. Middle schoolers, high schoolers are dismissed. They're going to be upstairs in the youth rooms. The rest of you, say hello to somebody tonight, and then you'll be seated. You can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That's where we're going to be begin our study tonight. Find it right after the book of Proverbs, of course, third chapter. We'll begin reading at verse 1. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Jerry's got some in his hand. He'll be happy to hand you a Bible. A couple quick announcements as we'll be uh, getting... Um, close to some things that are taking place, actually. We have... Um, the church cleanup on Saturday at 1 o'clock. And uh, so if you're able to help, that would be a blessing, even if you can help for an hour. Uh, we're going to start at 1 o'clock because uh, we have some things going on in the morning. We want to do cleaning inside and outside. And uh, we kind of had to change the priority a little bit because of this last storm that came in. And boy, did the hail pile up at this place, uh, about a foot deep in the parking lot um, on Tuesday. So... Yeah, it was a mess, and uh, a lot of water came down, and so anyway, a lot of leaves on the ground, um, just a lot of cleanup from that that we need to do. You saw all the dirt out in the parking lot if you were over there, and uh, so we're going to do some outdoor cleaning, indoor cleaning. You can put down what you'd like to do indoor or outdoors, and so we can kind of get organized and prioritize the things that we want to get done. So that's coming up on Saturday. And then also Koinia Fellowship on the 20th. Don't forget about that. And the high schoolers' parents are being reminded of Trampoline Park on the 20th as well. In the bookstore, if you go in the bookstore, uh, particularly remember that it is Mother's Day coming up, all right, on Sunday. So there, you may want to take a glance at some of the things we have in the bookstore. But there's also the Calvary Chapel magazine that I mentioned on Sunday. There's plenty of copies that are there. And so one per family. They are free. You can grab one of those, and very well done. It talks about the uh, different Calvary chapels all around the world that uh, are ministering, and um, it's very encouraging to look at uh, this magazine, and I know that you'll be tremendously blessed. So take a look at that. Also, Vacation Bible School. If you're a volunteer for Vacation Bible School, they have a letter for you at the children's check-in desk. It talks about different meetings in different areas of uh, ministry that's taken place for those of you involved with registration or security, those of you involved with setup. And uh, so just to go over everything, so get one of those letters. And then also there's pre-registration taking place, so you can pre-register your kids uh, here. You can take some of those pre-registration forms and pass them out or give them to whoever that you think uh, might be interested in coming or inviting somebody to Vacation Bible School. Again, it's June the 5th through the 7th at Island Grove Park at the East Pavilion. Uh, and we have these nice cards that were made up. And what we did is we did kind of a, it's the first time actually that we've done this as a church, uh, but we kind of did a, a, a mass mailing in that area around Island Grove on the east side uh, to, to the homes with this right here. And on uh, one side is English, the other side is Spanish. And uh, it talks all about the Children's Festival at Island Grove. But we have some extra ones there at the Children's Check-In Desk. i really like to see these go, okay? Um, for you to be able to give to somebody that has children and to be able to invite them to the Children's Festival. So grab one of those and hand it out to somebody, invite somebody. This is one of the most important outreaches that we do here at the church all year long is the, the VBS Children's Festival at Island Grove Park. So we're looking forward to it, being in prayer uh, about what God's going to do 
um, during that time. So uh, Sunday morning, 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock, and we will be in Luke's gospel. We're going to be talking about the return of the Lord. The Pharisees come to Jesus, and they are, they are demanding from him. They are dogging him very critically, saying, when is the kingdom going to come? And Jesus begins to talk about his second coming. But in that, he gives two important Old Testament examples concerning his coming. He talks about Noah, um, how uh, in the days of Noah, and then also in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. So very important lessons as we look at that, as we look at the suddenness of judgment, as we look at the totality of judgment, as we look at the unexpectancy of that judgment. And he says, remember Lot's wife. So there is some um, important implications there and application for us to make uh, as we look at that text. And here's the thing to keep in mind. On Sodom and Gomorrah, when you go back to Genesis chapter 19, when the angels were there trying to get Lot and his wife and his family out, they went to Lot's um, brother-in-laws and said, we need to leave. Judgment is going to come. And they thought that he, he was joking. This can't happen. This isn't going to happen. And just as it was in those days that they planted and they built and they were given to normal routines, they had no idea when they woke up on that morning that judgment was going to come. And so, again, very important implications that are given to us. Remember Lot's wife. We don't know anything too much about her. We don't know her name. We don't know anything about her character, her personality. We know that she was married to Lot. We know that she had children, but that's it. So remembering Lot's wife, there's one story about her in the book of Genesis that we need to look at as Jesus is saying, remember that. And here's another interesting thing. I know I'm giving my teaching for Sunday, but you guys get a little preview on it. Here's the interesting thing. I was reading today that Josephus, the Jewish historian, he talks about Lot's wife and he says, which I have seen. He says that I saw White's, Lot's wife, the pillar of salt. And so did Clement, my contemporary, Clement of Rome, and her members. So it's interesting, apparently 2,000 years ago, they could still see Lot's wife. And he talks about how it was a difficult place to get to on the southern end of the, of the Dead Sea. So interesting thing. So it's going to be a wonderful study. Uh, we'll take a look at that on Sunday. But tonight we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 as Father. We do come and we desire to be ministered to as, as we look at Solomon who's down and discouraged. And um, at times it seems like uh, he is so uh, discouraged. And yet we know that that can happen in life. And there are lessons for um, us for us here that we can take home with us. And Lord, I do pray that you would speak to our hearts as we go through this. And so, Lord, we give and commit this time to you in the teaching of the word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So keep in mind that as Solomon, that he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the king of Israel, there in Jerusalem, called the preacher. And Solomon had everything. I mean, he had anything and everything that the world would envy. He had knowledge, had wisdom, he had great wealth, he wore golden sandals. Uh, he was so wealthy that uh, and gold covered the buildings and the temple and his throne and, and there was so much silver in the land that it was as valuable as rocks, the scripture tells us. We know that he had great power and prestige. He had building projects. He had, you know, stables where some have suggested he had as many as 40,000 horses in stables throughout Israel. That would be like having 40,000 luxury cars. He had a daily provision that would be big enough to have a feast for 14,000 people. He had, you know, parties where the wine was flowing. And, and he brought in exotic animals in. It would be something that Hollywood would envy. And he had a thousand wives and concubines. He had it all. And keep in mind that as Solomon is writing this, he would have what the world would say, that this is what you need to be happy and satisfied and, and will give you real purpose in life. 
And what we see is a man here that says that it's all vanity, not some of it, but all of it is vanity, it's emptiness. And he's beginning to come, we saw one conclusion, he comes to six conclusions in these chapters with a final conclusion at the end. And one of the conclusions that he, he gave that we saw last time is that be content, be thankful for what you have, uh, enjoy the fruit of your labor. And he's going to continue to be down on why should we labor? Why should we work? It's all vanity. It's, it's nothing new under the sun that we see what happens. It's grasping for the wind because it just goes to somebody else. And he's down and negative. But he does at times, as we will even see in this chapter, that he will get his eyes on the Lord for a moment and he will be positive and then he gets his eyes back off of the Lord. And as we go through this, keep in mind also that that's, this is the way a lot of people feel in the world that don't have the Lord. That they will labor and they will strive and they think that if they have the possessions, if they have the popularity, if they have the prosperity, if they have you know, the prominence, if they have these things, then it will be all meaningful and I'll be fulfilled and satisfied in my heart and in my soul. And it ends up leaving us to where we're empty because we were made, you and I, to worship the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with working hard. And there's nothing wrong with having things. And there's nothing wrong with pursuing wisdom and knowledge. There's nothing wrong in those things even of itself. But when it's apart from the Lord then what happens is over time we begin to be discouraged and we get down and we start thinking, you've talked to people that said, is this all there is to life? And is this the meaning of life? And they're trying to find it in so many different ways. And you and I as Christians keep in mind tonight that we are so tremendously blessed, aren't we? Because we have Christ and we have eternal life and he desires to give us that abundant life now. So as we go through this, we can learn from this. And in chapter 3, we read, he, he says, To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And as we go through verses 1 through 8, of course, it reminds us of that popular song in the 60s by the birds, you know, um, for, you know, every season, turn, turn, turn. Matter of fact, at dinner time, I was playing the song for my daughter, uh, the birds, and, and, and then Sue and I started playing other songs of the 60s and 70s that we used to listen to, and it was a little bit too much for her. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's when music was good, right? <laughs> so it, it was kind of fun being able to do that. But keep in mind that this isn't, you know, written uh, as a, a, a popular a philosophy that, like that popular song um, as a poetic reasoning for a time for everything. Solomon here is being cynical. And as he's saying there's a time for everything, there is a season, what he's saying is that life just continues season after season after season, and it's mundane, and you live, and you die, and you plant, and you harvest, and everything's predictable and monotonous, and, and things come and things go. So he's being cynical in here, but that's what he's looking at apart from God, and that's the way a lot of people can look you know, this way or feel this way in the world. We as Christians, we can look at this different. So let's take a look at this. Again, for there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Listen, every single one of us that live, we will go through different seasons of our lives, and we need to keep that in mind. And we will go through these seasons here that we will go through times where we're planting and then we're harvesting. A time where we are, you know, building, we're tearing down. There's going to be seasons in our lives where we are rejoicing and then we're weeping, where we're tearing and we're sowing. And we go through different seasons, and sometimes we think that, Lord, this is hard, but all of us, as Jesus said, that you will go through tribulation. And it rains on the just and the unjust. And we go through those times, but I want you to know this and always remember, because I have to remind myself when I go through those different seasons that the Lord is with me. And his promises are true to me. And I am to look to him for every season. 
It was Paul the Apostle. He talked about seasons in his life. When he was talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he's seen them for the last time. And he says in the King James, he says, you know what manner of, of man I was in all seasons. You see, even Paul talks about different seasons that he went through. And he begins to talk to them about his godly integrity and character and his ministry that he was committed to how I went from house to house and didn't hold anything back from you guys. And even though I was persecuted by the Jews, I was committed to give the gospel. And he says, I don't count my life dear to myself, but I'm determined to run my race with joy for the ministry that has been set before me. And he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. And he would begin to encourage them and bless them that whatever season that you guys are going to go through, that you make sure that you're running your race with joy that is set before you. Because as we do run that race, the different seasons come into our lives. And here's Solomon 3,000 years ago. He talks about these seasons, a time to be born and a time to die. You can hear the song in your head, those of us that are older. But there is a time to be born. Every single one of us that are in this room, we were born, right? And every single one of us in this room, we will die unless the rapture of the church comes. But our lives will come to an end. And what we do between when we're born and when we die is very important concerning the things of the Lord. The most important decision, of course, is surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. But as we are living for him, then that gives us real purpose and eternal value and and eternal satisfaction in our hearts and in our souls because as i mentioned that even as revelation chapter 4 declares that we are created for his you know good pleasures that we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works uh, poem you are his poem ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 and what my prayer is that as you are journeying in life and going through the different seasons that you would say like Paul, you know what manner of man or woman I am. And I'm going to continue on in the things of the Lord. And I don't count my life dear to myself. Why? Because I have died to self, picked up my cross, and I'm going to follow after you, Lord. And you are the prior priority of my life in every area of my life. And I want to remind you once again that being a Christian doesn't mean that Jesus is just added to your life or he's a part of your life. But Jesus is what? Your life. He's your life. And as you keep him the priority of your life, the things that you have and the labor that you do and the things that you enjoy in life, that you're going to just uh, enjoy them so much more and you're going to be blessed because you have Christ. And as you serve him in your life, you're going to experience great joy. But here he says you're born, there's a time to be born and a time to die. And now he talks about what happens in between there. But I just want to remind you again, the most important thing is to be born again. Because you see, if you're born once, you're going to die twice. If you're born physically, you're going to die physically and you will die eternally. If you're born twice, because remember, it was Jesus that told Nicodemus that, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. So if you're born twice, born physically, of course, and Nicodemus was confused. He said, what do you mean, born again? Can I enter my mother's womb a second time? And, and Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're the master teacher of Israel. What do you, what do you, you know, don't you understand that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit? And as we give our lives to Jesus Christ, born again by the Spirit of God, then you're only going to die once, again, unless the rapture of the church happens. But you're going to live on for all eternity. And as we live in this life, there is a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. Or that is, there's a time to reap, is what the King James says. This is the time of year that we're getting ready to plant. I bet that there's some of you that have gardens that you're planning on planting this weekend. Mother's Day weekend is the time where we start planting flowers. And even though, you know, two years ago and three years ago, we had big snowstorms on Mother's Day. But usually it's a time when the frost is over and we can start planting plants. And, and some of us have done the early planting and, and we can start planting flowers. In about three or four months, there's going to be reaping of 
what we planted to tomatoes and the peppers and everything else that we did. And in our lives spiritually, as we bring it home here, that there's a time that we plant. And what I pray is that you would continue to plant the word of God, the seed of God's word into your heart. And as you do, there's going to be fruit that's going to come forth. Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the one who has the, the good soil, the, the heart that's like good soil, as the seed of the word is planted in your heart and it takes root there, it's going to produce fruit some 30, some 60, some 100-fold, as Jesus would say. And Jesus would also say that as you abide in me, that you're going to bring forth fruit. And I want to encourage you that you continue to be planting the word of God into your heart because then you're going to be reaping and continue to do good. Don't grow weary is what the scripture says. In due time, you're going to reap a great harvest. The Lord's going to continue to bless. So there's a time to, to, to plant, a time to reap. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. And for us spiritually, there's a time as we go through our lives that the Lord is saying, I want to tear this thing down. I want to break it down. I want to break down the pride and the self-reliance. I want to break down the, the haughtiness and the foolishness. And I want to build up that which is eternal and spiritual. And you and I, as, as we build up each other in the things of the Lord, that we build up each other in the things that we say, edifying one another, encouraging one another, and so there's a time that, that the Lord does that work of breaking down. And there's a time where he builds up and builds us up in the things of the Lord and then we can build up one another. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh and a time to mourn and a time to dance. It reminds me of the psalmist that writes that weeping may endure for the night, but joyeth comes in the morning. And maybe you're here and in your heart you're weeping. You're weeping over a circumstance or a situation in your life. And you're in that season right now. And I want you to know that the Lord loves you and he sees you. And he's going to show himself strong in your behalf. That as you continue to trust him and look to him, that as you just cry out to him, that there's going to be that joy that's going to come. And we see that he says in his time to cast away uh, stones and a time to gather stones. Uh, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. We want to embrace the good things, don't we? We want to embrace those things that are going to build us up and edify us and encourage us in the things of the Lord. And then there's those things that we've refrained from embracing. Uh, that is, we don't want it to embrace the ungodly things and the worldly things and those things that are going to harm us spiritually. There's a time to gain and a time to lose. It reminds me so much of what Jesus writes, and he says, listen, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you will gain it. And a way for you to gain what is, should be a priority and of importance eternally is to lose your life. Some of the kids walk around with t-shirts they got when they went to an outreach. It says on the front, loser, and then it has that verse on the back, and I like that. Lose your life. In other words, die to self. Don't just live for self. Don't always just be prioritizing your, yourself, but you prioritize the Lord in your life, and you die to self. You die to your selfishness. You die to your pride. You die to your thing and say, Lord, I'll be submitted to you. And as that's not a popular message in the world, certainly, it is not even a popular message in the church today because so much of the message in the church today is about you and what's in it for you. And, and you know, it's almost like a self-motivation message that uh, comes across so many pulpits with a Christian twist to it. But here's the thing, that the Lord desires for you to lose your life, that is, die to self and die to your thing and to look to him. And as you do, you're going to gain so much more than what the world could offer you. And there is a time to keep and a time to throw away. 
I tell Sue as we get older, that's what we need to do. We've already kept. We need to start throwing things away. So it is true, isn't it? So when in doubt, throw it out, right? That's my philosophy. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. There is a time where we're going to end up being quiet. Reminds me when Jesus, when he was on trial, he did not open up his mouth, as Isaiah would say in chapter 53. And there's going to be a time when, you know, people come against us or they want to argue with us. That There's a time to be quiet and there's a time that we are to speak up, to stand for righteousness. There's a time where we need to be quiet and be praying for that individual. And there's a time where we need to speak up and edify them, bring correction to them. And it takes great discernment to know when it is I'm to be quiet and when it is that I'm to, to speak. And a time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. So in this, he, he is again saying that, uh, as he mentions time 28 times in verses 1 through 8, that time does go by so fast. And we know that to be true. And we know that there is these seasons that we go through. But keep your eyes on the Lord, whatever season that you are in. And then he goes on and he talks about the given task that we have in verse 9. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? And I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. And he has made everything beautiful in its time. And also he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. And so as he begins to have a little glimmer of a positive outlook because he begins to look to the Lord, he says, in every season, in his time, not our time, he makes everything beautiful in his time. And I know that when we go through seasons where, you know, that we're reaping and a season where, um, he's building up and we're laughing and we're dancing and we're gathering stones and we're gaining and, uh, you know, a time of peace in our lives. We think, Lord, you are making everything beautiful. But I want you to know this, that in those times where you are being broken down and those times that you are mourning and those times that you are weeping and in those times that you have loss in your life, that he promises that he will make everything beautiful in his time. And we can look at that and say, Lord, how is anything beautiful going to come out of this situation, out of this loss, out of this discouragement, out of these ashes? As Isaiah says, that he brings beauty from the ashes. And it is only our God that can do that in your life and in my life. And it seems like that everything is just burnt up and it's ashes and it's destroyed. The Lord says that he's the one that brings beauty out of the ashes. And so we can say to him, Lord, in your time, you make everything beautiful. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know, you know, you know, what's going to come to pass but i also know this that you promise in romans chapter 8 verse 28 that you will work all things for good for those who love you who are called according to your purposes lord you're going to work all things for good and i don't know how you're going to do that but i know that as i look at eternity's perspective that somehow some way that you're going to work this for good and you're going to make all things beautiful and maybe perhaps we may not see the finality of it till we get to the other side of eternity. But Lord, I know this, that your word is true and you can do no evil and you do not lie. So I can stand on that promise that you make everything beautiful in your time because you've put eternity into my heart and he's put eternity into our hearts. Most people, I think, that they believe that there is an eternity. And as we are in this life, going through the seasons of our life, that we are to live for eternity and keep our eyes on eternity and keep our eyes on the things above, not just on the things of this world. 
because God knows the end from the beginning. And even as Solomon says that, that God, that he knows the beginning to the end. Isaiah says he knows the end to the beginning. He knows it all. And I don't know what is ahead for me. I don't know what is ahead for me next week or next month or next year, if we're even around next year, if I'm around next year. But I do know this, that I want to keep my eyes on eternity and each and every day that I have, that I want to prioritize you and I want to worship you. And I want to stay close to you, Lord, because you are my satisfaction and you're my fulfillment. And I'm going to trust that you're going to work somehow each and every day of my life. And listen, being a Christian isn't mundane. It isn't monotonous. It isn't just, oh, well, it's grasping for to win everything. What's the real purpose for you and I as Christians? Man, it's exciting to live by faith. Not always easy. But it's exciting to know that the Lord will perfect that which concerns us. And he will bring the work that he's begun us, in us to completion. He promises to do that. And that I can rest in that and I can hope that, Lord, that, you know, we have the hope that you're going to bring it to that completion, whatever you want to do in my life. And that causes me to rest and to keep my eyes on him. But as we continue here in verse uh, 12, I know... Uh, that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and do good in their lives. He's going to start getting negative again. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. So as he stays positive, then he's going to all of a sudden get negative. We can enjoy what God has given to us, our labor, his blessings. And we are to be ones. The key is to be thankful, just as we talked about on Sunday with the story of the ten lepers. Only one came back to be thankful. I really, really believe more than ever that the key to us experiencing that abundant life that the Lord has for us is to be thankful. And we do have whatever you're going through tonight. As a Christian, you have reason to be thankful because you are forgiven and you are saved and you have his promises and that he is with you and he promised he'll never leave you or forsake you. We have reason to be thankful. And we can go to him with our hurts and supplications, with thanksgiving, as Paul said, and let our requests be known to God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And as we have that, we're going to enjoy the labor that we do and the things that we have more than, than if we're just murmuring and complaining and just wanting more in life. In verse 14, now he starts to get negative. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. And that which is has already been, and what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. And, and then I, what I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. So when God's work, his work is sovereign and it's an eternal work, and, and Solomon knows that truth, but again, he is bummed out. There are those that I have talked to, they know God's word, but, and they know the truth of God, but it's not real in their lives. Yes, the Lord works sovereignly. And as a Christian, we can say, that, God, you work in a glorious, wonderful way. See, Solomon here is looking at it as God's just going to do whatever he wants to do. He works sovereignly. And there are those who will call me or email me, and they'll talk to me, and they'll say, should I pray? Since God's going to do what he wants to do, his you know, will, why should I pray? Well, we're told to pray. We're told throughout the New Testament, Jesus said, pray that your joy may be full. We're going to see here in a couple weeks on Sunday the, the story of uh, and the parable of the persistent widow that kept going to the judge and being persistent in asking. And Jesus is going to be telling us that men ought to always pray and faint not. We know that it is Paul that says that we are to continue to pray fervently in Romans chapter 12. To the church at Thessalonica, he would say that we are to pray always without ceasing, for this is the will of the Lord. And James says that we are to pray, you know, and we are to continue to pray not amiss, but in faith. We're to continue to pray always because I know that it moves the heart of God. And I know that God is sovereign. And I know that as I go to Him, 
that I can trust him in his sovereignty, that he's doing a wonderful, glorious work, what is best for me. So when I go to prayer, you know, it's not so much to manipulate him and, the, and trying to change God and treating God like he's a celestial Santa Claus or a genie up in the sky, like some, you know, of the faith movement and prosperity movement, that you've got to have enough faith and you've got to pray and you've got to, you know, and do this to kind of get what you want. And the power of prayer and the power of faith, whatever you ask in Jesus' name, you will receive. Well, here's the thing about praying in Jesus' name. You're praying in the character of nature of Jesus. So if this thing isn't good for me, Lord, then I don't want it. And I want to live according to your will, not my will. Because I know what you have for me is so much better. So Solomon looking at this in a negative way, we look at it in a very positive way in our life. Because there have been things in my life that I prayed for that I look back and I think, thank you, Lord, that you didn't give me what I was praying for because that would not have been good for me. Or you had something so much better. Or it wasn't the right time and you were telling me to wait, but I just trust in you. And I don't know about you, but as I pray, you know, the Lord just helps me through as I pray for things. He starts to put things on my heart. He helps me to kind of sort everything, you know, out. And it's kind of like, okay, Jeff, we, we're talking about this right now. You're praying about this. Come back and see me tomorrow. And he's not playing hard to get. But he's helping me and ministering to me. And it's that conversation with his word and speaking in that still small voice. And I keep praying and I keep trusting and going to him. And I know that he's going to work sovereignly in a glorious way. So here he continues in that. He says that history repeats itself. Nothing new under the sun in verse uh, 15 that I read there. Um, And and Paul, uh, he would write to the Corinthians because as history does repeat itself, um, we can learn from that, can't we? Paul said in, to the Corinthian church that those things were written down for our admonition. We can learn from history. We can learn from others' mistakes. It doesn't have to be our mistakes. But here again, he's saying it's just kind of, it's already been done and God's going to require account of what is past. This is something that I remember. Um, is that we are going to stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. Not to be judged for our sins, but as we talked about in our previous studies, to be judged for what we've done in the body, whether good and bad. And in a sense, we will be given an account of our lives. And the uh, things that are unlike him, the wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn up, and the things that are pleasing to him and the eternal things that are going to shine forth as gold and silver and precious metals. But Solomon here, as he goes on in verse 16, he starts to write about injustice seems to prevail in the place of judgment. Wickedness was there in the place of righteousness. Iniquity was there. Uh, Remember that we will give an account, but here as he looks at the judicial system, there's injustice in the place of righteousness. There is iniquity. He's talking about the priesthood. And as we look at after Solomon died and then the nation split to ten northern tribes, the house of Israel and then the house of Judah down south, that one of the indictments against both of those nations was injustice, that the, the judges were corrupt and that the priesthood was corrupt as well, especially in the house of Israel, but even in the house of Judah where they had the temple, that it was all corrupt and, and the corrupt minds of the priests, Ezekiel talks about, and, and the corruption of what was taking place. And we can look at the world today and we can say that there's injustice, isn't there? And we can say that there's corruption in all of this. And Solomon is, is really bummed out about it. But there will be a time that we will stand before the righteous judge. Uh, I was talking to you, somebody yesterday about, for me as a teacher, that as James chapter 3 says, that, that don't many of you desire to be teachers because you're going to be held to a stricter judgment. And that's a very sobering thing for me to understand and to realize. And so as he continues on, he says in verse 18, that I said in my heart concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. 
For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them and one dies, so th um, uh, dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals for all his vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust and return to the dust. So again, he, he's looking at it and saying, what good is it for us to be humans? We just end up like the animals and we end up in the dust. Now, he's not saying that all dogs go to heaven here, all right? Matter of fact, you know, the Bible doesn't say what happens to our animals. And, and we love our animals, don't we? We had to put down our Sheltie uh, a few months ago in um, November that grew up with the kids. She was 15 years old. They become a part of the family, don't they? And, and we miss them and we appreciate them. But we also got to be honest as well about what the scripture says about animals. You know, God breathed in us as humans the spirit of life. And Jesus came to redeem man. He didn't come to redeem, you know, Fido and, um, you know, Fluffy the cat. Um, he came to redeem man. And so how is it that people will ask that we minister to our children or one of the kids, uh, oftentimes, it happens every few months, They'll say, you know, my, my cat, my dog, my gerbils, somebody died, do, do they go to heaven? And we want to answer with sensitivity, and we want to answer with care, don't we? And I say, you know, honey, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, but I do know this, that when we go to heaven, it's going to be so glorious and so wonderful. It's going to be more glorious and wonderful than you can ever imagine. And so you're going to be perfectly happy. And so we can just trust in the Lord. So here Solomon's looking at it. What good is it? You know, it's just like animals, you know, we're going to end up in the dust just like they are. What advantage is it to be a man? What advantage is, is that Jesus died for our sins. In verse 21, who knows the spirit of the sons of man which goes upward and the spirit of the animal which goes down to the earth. So I perceive that nothing is better that a man should rejoice in his own works for that is his heritage, for who can bring him to see what will ha happen after him? So he comes to another conclusion here at the end of the chapter. And, and in this, he says, there's no meaning or significance in life uh, as we end up like the animals. But go ahead and just enjoy what you have. And we should enjoy what we have. But we know for you and for me to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. And we have such a wonderful future that is ahead for us. And that's why that in this life, um, when I go through the difficulties, when I go through the hard times, I think about eternity a lot. I think about, Lord, you know what? You got me. And you're going to see me to completion. And that helps me not get too enamored with this world, to keep my eyes on the eternity and so here as he continues in chapter 4, just a couple of verses that we'll get into, then I return to consider all the oppression that is done under the sun and look to tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of the oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. He now considers the oppressed. They have no comforter. He said it would be better if you're just dead. And again, we look around the world, we see the oppressed, we see the persecuted. But let's keep a heavenly perspective on things and a biblical perspective because Jesus said that blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for great will be your reward. So God hasn't forgot about those who are persecuted. And we see those who are persecuted, you know, particularly Christians in the Middle East, in, in the Far East, in certain places, in Africa and Sudan. And we see it all around us. And it discourages us and it concerns us. But keep in mind that Jesus said, blessed are you who are persecuted for my sake. And for you that are here tonight, and maybe you might go home today, tonight. You might go to work tomorrow or go to school tomorrow, and somehow there are going to be those who are going to come against you. And keep in mind this, that the Lord sees you, and blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
The world is going to hate us and come down on us and oppress us. But know that he is your defender. Know, as David writes, I, I was reading this today, the Psalm 18, that David writes, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God and my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. He will save us, and he sees us, and you'll be rewarded for what it is that you go through when the world comes against you. And again, I saw that all toil and every skillful work of man is envied by his neighbor. There, this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a uh, handful with quietness than both hands fold together with toil and grasping for the wind. So he's cynical about those who work, you know, skillful, and, and it just brings envy to others and working and toil for materialistic gains. It's vanity and grasping for the wind. So it's better just to have empty hands is what he is saying here. And then in verse 7, Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. And there is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asked, For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. And so working yourself to get more, what good is it? If it's, you know, you neither have son or brother who is going to uh, be given it to. You're working and you're not satisfied. And I just want to encourage you that the real joy is when we're working for the Lord, when we're serving the Lord. And I pray that none of us miss out on that. Just serving the Lord in whatever he has for us and whatever he wants to do in our lives. And then verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And for they will fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may o be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not broken. E quicken or quickly broken so here he talks about that the benefit of a friend and a companion and they will benefit each other and, and lift them up and encourage it'll be help give you strength in a time of battle and, and that is true when in your family that your family there's closeness or in this church family and i think to remind you once again of what you know is that it's important that we have that you know companionship that we have brothers and sisters in the Lord because it is a battle that is out there isn't it and one of the tactics of the enemy is try to isolate Christians because if he can isolate you then he can beat you up a lot better he's more effective in that but there is strength in numbers and it's important for us that we have this fellowship that we encourage each other and build each other up and bless one another and it's interesting in verse 12 he says in a three-forward fold cord is not bro quickly broken and this has been quoted at at weddings that i've heard uh, because the husband and wife and then the lord and, and again we can apply this to that if you'd like to or in, in the body of christ uh, whatever it may be but as long as we have the lord that's where the ultimate strength comes and then as we finish the chapter better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king. And although he was born poor in his kingdom, I saw all the living who walk under the sun. And they were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end in all the people who, over whom he was made king. And yet those who come afterwards will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. And so as we conclude the chapter here, we see that he says it's better to be poor and wise because while you're living, you're honored, you're popular, but afterwards you are gone and you're forgotten. Your fame and popularity is short-lived. And to keep in mind for you and for me that wherever you're at in life, you may not be in the who's who of the world. You may think that I'm not popular or I don't have any fame, but know this, that the Lord, the Lord knows you, and you're the who's who in the kingdom, and you're very valuable to the Lord.
And at whatever season you're going through, whether it's, you know, rejoicing or weeping, whether it's building or being torn down, whatever the case may be with you, that you are valuable to the Lord. And he sees you. He's not going to forsake you. And he desires for you to come into that intimate fellowship with him. You see, it's through the trials and difficulties that we can have that. And through the trials and difficulties that he wants to make himself more real to you than ever before. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time and these chapters that uh, we see a, a person who's very negative. But, Lord, I just pray that we would be ones. Uh, Father, that we would see that as Christians, we can look at things at a different perspective. We can see how um, whatever season that we're in, that you're with us. And that you promise that you'll make all things beautiful in your time. And Lord, that um, we can look to you for satisfaction and fulfillment. And that we would be ones that, even as Solomon writes, that the benefit of having brothers and sisters, companions, there is strength and there's benefit and there's blessing that we would develop those relationships with one another and in our families. And Lord, I pray that as we do, because it's a battle out there, that ultimately when you are in our lives, that there is strength. Father, I just pray for everyone that is here tonight, that as we go home, that we wouldn't have the mindset tomorrow or next week of life is just mundane and monotonous, but we would experience your abundant life that you have, an eternal purpose to live for you, to worship you, and to know you. Make that real in our lives. Father, I thank you for this time that we've had tonight. And I pray that whatever season that we're in, that we would know that we will see your faithfulness and draw us to yourself as we just come to you with a heart of thankfulness and gratitude.